0: Well, it's that time of year where uh, many of our college students have gone back to college, but the great transition around here is that we fill in with the Gardner-Webb students who have come back, and uh, some of them are here this morning, and it's so good to see you guys. Hope you'll come back, and uh, even some from uh, Cleveland Community College, and uh, we're just so appreciative of your presence here. There'll probably be many more in the 11 o'clock service, uh, but we do have some of you guys here in this service. We do appreciate you being a part of our church. All right, today we're going to be looking at a psalm that should inspire us and bring us hope. Uh, the, The psalm we're looking at, many people believe King David wrote it, and he seems to be looking back over his life, discovering that God had a plan for his life from the very beginning and that God had equipped him for his life. He also seems to come to the conclusion that he's really had an incredible life. And so what I want you to do, go ahead and turn to Psalm 139. That's where we're going to be this morning. We have a couple more weeks with this series, Summer in the Psalms. And um, I I think what we're going to discover here, many of you are going to be very familiar with the passage we're going to focus on this morning. But I think it's something that we lose sight of very quickly as we make our way uh, through this very difficult life at times. Now, many of us sitting here today would say that they would not describe their life as incredible. Matter of fact, some of you may be sitting here today and you basically have come to the conclusion that life is not fair. Uh, You may even push it towards God and say at times you don't feel that God is fair. I I, I hear others say, uh, God has never let me down. But for you, maybe you feel like God has let you down. I heard, a, some of you may be sitting here saying, you know, I heard a psalm the other day that says God will always be there for me, but I don't find that to be true in where I am today. I, I even some of you may have read God's Word and read where God will never forsake you, but you're sitting here today and you're feeling every, every bit of that. Some of you May care to it a step further and say, it's not just been a moment in my life. It seems like everywhere I turn in my life, it's one crisis after another. And I think for many of us who've lived long enough to know this, we kind of see that in our own lives. But the thing that David is going to remind us of this morning is that we do and have the potential to have an incredible life. In the midst of all this. Matter of fact, King David, when you think about him and his writings, particularly in the Psalms, there were times where God, where he cried out to God and he felt like God wasn't fair. There were times where he, he would cry out and say, God, where are you? It's that whole idea that there are times where he felt like God forsook him. And so we can identify with David, but David wrote all those Psalms, and then he comes to Psalm 139, and and he's having a praise and worship time because he feels like he's lived a pretty incredible life. How do you put all that together? Well, I think for most of us, we do need to understand that God has a plan and purpose for our lives. We've heard that all our lives. But the point is this, God has placed us in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Now, God didn't cause the fallen world. Our ancestors caused the fallen world. We know that from scripture. But the fact is, we've been inserted into a fallen world made up of fallen people. How many of you can identify with that? We rub shoulders with them every day. Let's carry it a step further. We are fallen ourselves. Everywhere we turn, there's the potential of disaster and ruin that could come to our life. And, and King David, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, King David was one of those who experienced every bit of what I'm talking about. How do we know that? Because he says it is to be true. And we find that so many times in Scripture. So how do you have an incredible life when it feels like all these things are against us? We'll look at the introduction most people believe that David wrote this psalm later in life. In the psalm, this is interesting, God is referenced 36 times and David over 50 times, which speaks to the personal and intimate nature of the relationship. This psalm is evidence that God desires an intimate relationship with you and that he has plans for you in this life. If we don't at least start there with that perspective, we will never see our lives as an incredible life. The idea here that we find in Psalm 139 is that God knows everything about us. He knows everywhere we are, and nothing about us escapes him. Listen to how he describes it in Psalm 139, verse 1. David says, "'O Lord, you have searched me and known me,' You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down are all, are, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me. From behind and before, you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, when he begins to rec- uh, recognize this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me for me. It is it is high. I cannot attain it. He's basically saying these thoughts blow his mind. That God knows everything about him. Where can I go, verse 7, from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell or the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. He's basically saying God is unlimited when it comes to knowing him personally, intimately. He's not limited in any way. And so David is looking at this, and he's having a worship service. He's looking at God. You've seen everything that's taken place in my life. You've been there. You've been through it. You've heard my thoughts. You've heard what I've said. Everything in my life has not been taken or been limited to you. It's all right there. And he's having a praise and worship service, basically, right there in his own heart. Then we come to verse to the passage that we find in verses 13 through 16 and it implies that God not only knows everything about us he also has intentions for us. There are certain things that he's looking to do in and through us and he's equipped us to do so. Very interesting. Jeremiah 29:11. Of course, we know this was actually spoken to, uh, uh, concerning the nation of Israel, but it could be concerning anybody who's God's child. But look at, listen to what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What does that mean? That means God has intention for our lives, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. But for many of us, when we read this verse, it's like, what do you mean not to harm me? I feel harmed every time I turn around. But again, let me ask you, are you looking at it in the right perspective? Think about this. We live in a fallen world, around fallen people, around fallen systems. We ourselves are fallen. To be honest with you, and I've told you this before, I'm surprised anything ever turns out right, aren't you? And we look at this, and and, yet God is saying to the nation of Israel, which he could easily be saying individually as as us, you know, that, that, listen, my plan is not to harm you. It's not to do those things. But there's definitely things that come into our lives that we know do harm us. But let me tell you this. The way God sees it, that harm is not the ultimate end of what he's after in your life. Harm may come. Sorrow may come. But you know what the Bible says? But joy comes in the morning. With God, there's always the next moment. With God, yeah, we live in a fallen world and he sees that and he's aware of that. He knows everything about me and yet, in the midst of it all, he's working a plan in and through every bit of it. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. It blows my, my mind. Let, let me tell you this about my life personally. I've lived long enough to see what David's talking about. And many of you have too. Because you've seen it from God's perspective. The harm that has come to your life, the pain, the sorrow that has come to your life, God has a way of making it all work out for the good. For the good. And if you don't realize it here, if you know him intimately, one day you'll realize it there. It's all in the plan. Forty years ago, today, Kind of amazing. My wife and I were married. 20 years, 40 years ago, 20 years. <laughs> There's probably only 20 of those years that we should really count. But anyway, <laughs> 40 years we were married today. And I'm just going to tell you, um, it, it was something else, getting married. Because many of you may not know our story. Some of you know it. You're sick of our story, but I'm sorry. It's, it's testimony God's given me, and I'm, it's my experiences, so I'm going to share it anyway. But anyway, I want you to look at this picture here. Um, There's some some good and bad in that picture right there, Um, but this is our family, and it all began 40 years ago. And, And what's interesting is when I look at this picture, I'm looking at where we are today, but it didn't start off like that 40 years ago. Forty years ago, if you look at a time period during that time, I, I think our story, or at least my story, would be just like David's. There were times in which I could look at it and I could say, you know something, it's been an incredible life, it's been a remarkable life, but for us, it was an improbable life. It really was when we look back at it. But, but it didn't start that way when you begin to look at that. If you'll take the next picture here, that right there is horrifying to me. Laughter But that is 40 years ago today, a young guy, a real young guy and a real young girl. I think we were the only ones smiling in the whole building that day. Everyone else, including our parents, were crying (laughs) because, you know, obviously we didn't know what we were getting into. But anyway, um, but what you see there in that picture is you see two very young people getting married. And, and, And what you see at the altar that day, 40 years ago, were two people coming from broken homes, Coming from some dysfunction. We've all been there. Matter of fact, my children were raised in a dysfunctional home. Weren't you yours? I mean, everything where you touch it goes back to that fallen nature, that fallen world. There, are there varying degrees of dysfunction? Yeah, there's some of you sitting here today. You're still trying to get past the dysfunction. And I get that. But here's what you need to understand when you begin to look at all these things, when we came from those broken homes, there was dysfunction in our life, just like anyone else has. Teenage pregnancy. We were 16 years old in that picture, 16 years old. We had over—listen, there may be smiles there, but there were overwhelming feelings of guilt and shame. We we were very involved in the church. Some people would say that we were possibly leaders in our youth group. And it was a very difficult time working through that. The consequences of our sin produced— a lot, of, a lot of trouble for us, pain, sorrow that we didn't see when we stood there that day, a lot of struggle. It was probably not until 10 years into the marriage that we began to really fully understand what God really had intended for us when it came to what God was calling us to in a marriage, and God began to work in our life, through some of this process, I did sense that God was calling me into the ministry. And 32 years ago, uh, we moved here for me to start at what was then called Gardner-Webb College. You college students. this university. is big time now, right? But when I came around, it was the college. And, and, and let me just say this. As I began my, my, my journey towards the ministry that I knew God had called me to, Uh, It started here in this church as a part-time youth director back in 1990. And and through it all, you've heard my story, God placed many people into my life. Some of them are sitting right here in this room back then. And God did some amazing things through those people in our life. After seminary, back in 1997, I actually believed, and I've I've shared this story with you, I felt like God had placed me on the shelf. You ever felt like God just kind of put you on the shelf (laughs) and and I'll be honest with you I struggled it was about an 18 to 24 month period there where I I had my education I was ready to go fulfill what God was calling me to and and to be honest with you I I had friends who kind of came through the same church we came out of in Wilmington and they were already in the pastoral ministry they were much further ahead than I was and I'm I'm sorry I was jealous I was struggling did God not see me as anything valuable He could place out there? You say, well, you were the youth pastor. You're right, and I had some of your kids, and we had a, it was a great time. God, God used that period in my life to, to promote what he was after, but there's still those times, and you're sitting here today, and you're like, well, you're right. I mean, it would be tough to go through that. Every one of us have dealt with that. When we look around us and we see people progressing through life, much quicker and easier, or at least it appears to be, than we are. And we begin to think God's not fair. You see, everything, that, that, this is why the Psalms are so great. It has, Psalms have great insight because I guarantee you, if you get your mind around the Psalms, especially the ones David wrote, you're going to identify with what he's expressing, what he's feeling. And he's expressed every bit of that. And, and I've seen it in my own life. And so God began to work, and and he reminded me that when it came to my life, it wasn't about my timing, it was about his timing for me. So we began to roll, and then we entered into the lead role here in the pastor about 21 years ago. And there were challenges of leading a church uh, through much change, which we have, and I'm so proud of many of you. You stuck it out with us, and... And uh, it's been tough. But I'm telling you, God had a plan through it all. We went through a period, and many of you were praying for us during this time, where my wife, we didn't know what kind of health issue she was dealing with. It was undiagnosed for almost two and a half, almost three years. Finally, we found a doctor that discovered what was going on. And uh, in her mind, she thought she was coming to the end of her days. And, and that was a very difficult time. I, I remember also my own son's struggle, Jonathan. Um, basically called me out as a father. You say, well, how did that go? It didn't go well. <laughs> but I remember he was already on staff here, and there were some things that were churning in his heart. Heart, And uh, he said, I need to talk to you. And we spent several hours just trying to work through some of the things and the issues in his life that unbeknown to me, a lot of it I contributed to that Call it immaturity, whatever you want to call it. You could call it, hoping he didn't recognize what he was doing. But, and of course, there was regret there. But we've been through that. I watched my daughter, again, in one of them situations, and many of you have been there yourself, where all her friends were married, and they've already started their family, and we were sitting there, and we were like, God, where's he at? We've been praying for him since she was a little girl. Where's he at? He finally showed up. I don't know what took him so long, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I'm looking at the other picture with, on the porch there or the steps, and I'm telling you, I see it as remarkable and incredible, but there were times just like you, it wasn't. It, it, was, it was grueling. It was tough. There were many sleepless nights. There were many things. And listen, I'm not going to pretend. Some of you have dealt with much more severe stuff than I ever will. But I'm telling you, our problems and our pain and our sorrow is very personal, isn't it, when it touches our lives? And so it, you may have gone through this or gone through this. It may be different than mine. It may be similar to mine. But pain is pain and sorrow is sorrow. And it many times takes us to the same place. God, do you care? Have you forsaken us? Do you care? And sometimes when we say it that way, we sound like spoiled little children, don't we? But that's where many of us found ourselves, over life. But through it all, we became overcomers. Is there still more out there? Oh, definitely. I'm not naive. Is there still more struggles? Is there still more things out there? Yeah. But you know what? Through all the years, through these 40 years, I'm telling you, God has given me a different perspective about my sorrow, about my pain, about those times I didn't think he was fair. He's given me a different perspective because, you know, I've grown in him. And we can all get to that place in our lives. God has blessed us with incredible life. Through the difficult, the shame, the sorrow, the the painful times, even through the regrets, we can still get on the other side of it all. Through it all, here's what, here's what really came together for us. If you were to say, what, where was the turnaround? When did it start shifting? Through it all, we had a loving God who was patient with us and guided us. You know, sometimes when you're in the midst of a trial and crisis, and you're thinking God's not fair, I'm just going to be honest with you. We lose sight that God's hand is still on our life. But it is. He said he'd never forsake us. We may feel he has, but he never will. His word says it, but he never will. There, there was another, another thing is, we soon realized, and, and as God was bringing his word forth in my own heart, I, I came to realize, and I've shared this with you many times, that God wasn't trying to keep me from all this fun and all these different things that the world had, but God's commands, when I learned that God's commands were put in place to protect me and to provide for me, that was another thing that awakened in my heart, that God wants the best for me. And sometimes even in the midst of him wanting the best for me, it feels like he's not fair because the world's out there and they're experiencing all these different things. And why can't I? We've all been there, haven't we? But he brings his command. He brings his word. And when he brings his word, he's bringing his best, even though it may be difficult. But it didn't end there. There were those who came around us who began to invest in us some of you are sitting right here in this room. And it's amazing, if you look back over your life, I want to encourage you to do this. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just getting to a point where I'm starting to reflect about everything in my life. I think it started for me about three years ago. Uh, I'm in my 50s now. For, anyway, I'm starting to reflect. And I'm starting to see these people. And I, I see how this person encouraged me this way. And this person encouraged me in a different part of my life. And this person inspired me. And this person did this. Look back in your life. Look to those who did that on your behalf. But you know something that we brought to the table that we didn't realize was so valuable? And I'm not bragging. I'm I'm just telling you. This is how it played out. Through it all, through it all, we were always teachable. We were always teachable. We were always searching for what God wanted for us even in the midst of it, even when we sit there and we think he's forsaken us and we're crying out and we're hollering and we're, it's not fair. And we somehow knew he was bringing, there was something in there. I think it was the Holy Spirit of God saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's still there. His hand's still on you. He's working in and through you. So here's where I want to go with this. And this is a two-part sermon. So if you're sitting here saying, hey, we got a long way to go, just two parts, okay? But the first thing is this, the incredible life, here's what I've come to conclude. The incredible life includes realizing God created you particularly. And the better word there would be uniquely, but I needed a P word, okay? So anyway, uniquely, he's created us that way. We find that in Psalm 139. Look at verse 13. He's talked about all, nothing escapes God that's ever happened in his life. God saw it all. And then he comes to verse 13. and It's like it dawns on him. For you form my inward parts. You form my inward parts. There were things that were hidden from everywhere else, but you knew about that about me. You covered me. You know what that word literally means? Some of your translations may even say it. You, you wove me. You, you embroidered me. What does that mean? He created something. There was intentionality in how you created us. David saw that. Where did it happen? In his mother's womb. He says, I will praise you. I'm going to show you gratitude for what you've done. Was David always in the the awareness of showing gratitude to God? No, there were times he was whining and complaining just like we do. But David never missed the fact that he could praise his God. And he got there and he says, I'll praise you for I am fearfully. What does that mean? It means David was saying, I'm in all of what you've done. And then he says, and wonderfully uh, made. And when he says wonderfully made, he's talking about the functionality of who he is. And, and from this, we can take that David could have been sitting there that day and he could have been moving his hands. And he's like, wow, look at the intricacies of what God has done. Look at how he's created the speech, how I can hear, how I can experience the world around, how can I, nature and all those things, and how I can experience him. He began to look at all this. Marvelous are your works. The idea is that nothing compares with what you've done when you created us. And then he says this, and that my soul knows very well. When he says the soul, he's talking about the deepest part of who he is. It's you. The deepest part of who you are is who you are. And so David is basically, and he could have easily been saying this, he he, he said, Lord, through it all, through all the whining and complaining and all the different things that I've said about my life, I've come to know in the deepest part of me that you know me very well and you know exactly what you're doing when it comes to my life. I am convinced that I was created intentionally, Now, some of you could be sitting here today, and you could be saying, you know something, I look around, and there's people who have so much more to offer, or I feel that. I look around, and people have so much more, and I look around, and you start making all these comparisons. Let me tell you about what I've seen in comparisons in my own life. The more I compare myself to other people, the less grateful I am sometimes. How many of you have ever been there? And it gets hard to praise God when you're not grateful, And so we make all these comparisons and we do all these different things, but David's taking a step back. He said, but you know something? I was created intentionally by you. So let's look at what that means. The first word there is singularity. It's the idea of what makes you, you. Have you ever ever asked yourself that? What makes me, me? Some of you are like, who thinks that way? This guy does, okay? But, but it's really true. I mean, what makes you, you? He, he's already said, I've made you fearfully and wonderfully, marvelous are the works. There's intentionality in everything he's describing here, but what makes you, you? Well, your personality makes you, you. How many of you have one of them outgoing personalities? And, and when you're around those who are kind of closed off and kind of to themselves, you get that look, you know, they just look at you, why don't you tone this down, you know? You, you know what I'm talking about, but some of you are just oozing all kinds of energy. Makes us sick, to be honest with you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but you do, and then there's some of you more laid back. You're more introspective, and you look and you discern and you see. Well, well and there's so many different ways God has made us. How about our talents and abilities? Some of you have amazing talents and abilities that God can use. And and, and you didn't just happen to pick those things up. He created you with intentionality. He gave you the mind to be able to get to where you are. How how about this? Your strengths. What you're good at? I've shared with you on occasion, there's things I'm terrible at. I think I told you not long ago, my, my father-in-law, Tina's dad, was Mr. Handyman. He could do anything, and if he couldn't fix it, he'd build it. I mean, this guy was amazing, and this guy's nothing like that, nothing like that. And when my wife reminds me I'm nothing like her dad, I say, well, there's things he couldn't do that I can do, <laughs> because we're all made uniquely. How about your weaknesses? You know, I'm convinced it's not just knowing our strengths, it's knowing our weaknesses. And let's just face it, we've heard people that thought they could sing. They can't sing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you sit there and you're like, You hearing what I'm hearing? You, you, you no, know, I'm, I'm messing with you. But, but it is. It's that whole idea that sometimes knowing our weaknesses helps fill in the gaps. How about our experiences? Do you know that the greatest platform of ministry God has ever given me is from my experiences? What I've been through? If there, I can tell you every way, and I've experienced every way you can destroy a marriage. Bam. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to tell you, God uses that. How about your passions? There's passions in there. There's things that move you. Those are things that God can use in a spectacular way. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want to give you an example. I've shared this with you before. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I want to read to you. This is my passion. I live for this. I really do. I mean, there's just something about me wanting to do this. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm disobedient when I don't. And for you, maybe there's a word in Scripture that says, hey, that's me. That's my passion. That's what I want to see God do through me. But mine is Ephesians 4.11. It says, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And then why would he do that? Well, for the equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry for the edifying the body of Christ. Listen, that is my deepest passion is to help people to be equipped, to, to encourage people in their walk, to edify people. That is my living passion. Me standing up here, revealing all my vulnerabilities, I'm just gonna tell you, my passion supersedes whether, how you think of me this morning. Because I want you to understand that God has a great plan for your life through the difficult, through the pain, through the sorrow, through the stupid mistakes you may have made. He has that. Our passions. What's some more? Verse 13 says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of his stature of the fullness of Christ. And verse 14 says it all, "That, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. When I look around the world today and I see the delusions people are living under and the deception people are living under, it grieves my heart. It really does. And it should all our hearts. But there's a passion in me that wants so much to help them to understand God has a plan for their life. It's a better plan they could ever imagine. If they'll even make an attempt to move towards that plan, they'll see the incredible life he intends for us to have. That's my passion. My question to you this morning is, what's your passion? What has God given you and your talents and your abilities and all those things that he's poured into you? What's your passion? I know that when we have that salvation that's provided through Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, that with it comes spectacular things. And when he did that work in my life, he brought certain passions to my life. Next, Realizing God created you particularly, uniquely, it comes also through our salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4, this blows my mind. Don't ask me to explain it. I've preached sermons on it, but here's what it says. Just as he, that's God, chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Think about that. Does that just blow your mind? that your salvation didn't begin even in your, the mother's womb. It didn't begin. There was always a plan for you for salvation. Always. It's always been there. The intimacy God desires with us that's made possible through the provision of Jesus, his son. Thirdly, there's spiritual gifts. The Bible tells me, tells you, that when salvation came to your heart, there are certain things that the Holy Spirit came when he came into your heart that he's bringing with him and it includes spiritual gifts. What are some of those? Well, if you look at the passage, he talks about all of us being the members of one body. We don't function exactly the same, but we all come together, bringing what he's given us, having gifts that that are uh, differing. Skip down to where you see. If prophecy, let one prophesy in proportion to their faith. Ministry, let us go on ministering. That's the whole idea of serving. He who teaches, teach. He who exhorts, exhortation. He who gives, do it liberally. He who leads, do it with diligence who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Whatever he's placed there, do it to the greatest of ability. Let it become a passion. That's the reason he says with diligence, with liberality, with exhortation. He tells us this. It's all with passion. And then this. Think about what he writes in Psalm 139, verse 13. He's talking about all these different things. So We're going to look more about this in just a, in, in, uh, a couple of weeks from now. But listen to this. Realizing that God created you particularly for such a time as this. I want you to think about that. God not only created you, formed you into the person you are. He also took that and he placed it at a certain time. Placed it there. Where what's going on in the, king, in the world, think about it, all the, the gravity of all the moments that are out there in the world, he places you in a certain place, in a certain community where you are, in a certain church. He placed you there. You say, man, that's, that's far-reaching when you begin to think of it. I mean, some of this has got to be chance, right? Not according to Psalm 139. None of it's by chance. Now, some of you, and I've heard you say this, and, oh, I'm just so lucky to be an American citizen, home of the free, flying our flag, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Listen, I don't call it luck. I don't believe in luck. I believe God's very intentional in what he does. And are we blessed to be able to live in a free country? Absolutely. Does it have its problems? Absolutely. But we're here. We're here. He places you in the wind, in the wind, when he wants you to be. Mordecai, how many of you know the story of Esther? It's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Mordecai, her uncle, comes around, and Queen Esther, she's a beautiful woman. She's called the heart of the king, and the king can, you know, kings could wave a pin and wipe people off the face of the earth or whatever, and that's one of those situations. So Mordecai comes to Esther, and Esther's really... Sitting there basically, well, what can I do? You know, the, the, the Jewish people are about to be wiped out by this uh, king, and, and she's sitting there as a Jewish person, and he probably doesn't even know that. And, and, and Mordecai says, You need to speak, you need to step up, you need to speak up. And it appears from what we read in scripture, she's like, What do I have to offer? And Mordecai basically says, God's placed you here. And listen how he says it. The corner screen. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now, this is one thing Mordecai knew about the sovereignty of God. When God wanted to do something, he was going to do it whether we were going to do it or not. Okay? Now, that's a different type of—that's another way of looking at theology, and it's the right way of look at theology. But here's what he's saying. But you and your father's house will perish. You're going to miss out on what God wants to do. Yet who who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai's basically saying, Esther, wake up. Look at where God's placed you. You have the ear of the king. You can be very persuasive. She stood up to the challenge and was successful for such a time as this. You say, well, I'm no Queen Esther. I'm no King David. I'm not any. Man, I look at those people and yeah, God, same hand on them, same hand on you. And he wants to do a great work in and through you. It may not be as big as theirs, but he still wants to do something. He has intentionality in mind when it comes to you. So, realizing God created you particularly or uniquely, then we have the seasons of life. How many of you live long enough to know that there are seasons to life? Yeah, some, some of you who may be younger teenagers, even as college students, maybe you've seen a little seasonal change in your life, especially when you went off to college. But the, I'm just going to tell you, it, it really picks up momentum later in life. <laughs> are, am I correct? I mean, them seasons were really come and go. And, and, and I remember being a child, and I remember adolescence, and I remember all those things and those seasons. And then we enter into this period where we, trying to figure it all out and we're single and we go, God, what do you got for me out there? I mean, I want to be in touch with what you have. And then we get married and life really changes, doesn't it? And then we become parents and then we become grandparents. That's the best part. And then maybe we retire, become seniors. But listen, you may retire from what you use to provide for living for your family. But you don't retire from the kingdom's work. He still wants to use us in some capacity. He still wants to use us. So we see the seasons of life. Next, we see the incredible life includes realizing God created you uniquely. But number two, discovering your God-given purpose. In Psalm 139, look at verse 15. It says this, My frame was not hidden from you. What others could not see, he's saying, you saw. When I was made, that word made, literally the idea means created out of nothing. Does that not just blow your mind? He created you out of nothing, gave you life. He says, when I was made in secret, it means in his mind before it could be seen. That's what Ephesians 1, 4 says. We were on his mind We were a part of his intention before we showed up. That's what this means. And and, and then he says, and skillfully wrought. He saw what was needed and built it. How was it wrought? In the lowest parts of the earth. With the simplicity of it all, he created this masterpiece. Think about that. That's who we are. It's amazing how many people don't see themselves as that. There was a season in my life where I didn't see it. But we are. So what have we been given to do? Look on your outline. Loving and serving God. It starts right there. The very one who created you intentionally, the very one who poured life into you, the very one who put you into such a time as this, the one who created the complexity of who you've become, Think about that. He wants, you to do, he wants you to worship him through it all. That's the idea of loving and serving him. Matthew 22, Jesus, the, the, the lawyers of the day came and they were trying to trip up Jesus. And, and so they asked this question. It says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. It's amazing when you think about that. Greatest thing we can do is praise him and worship him for who he is. Love him by serving and complying to his purposes and intentionality for our lives. Next, discovering your God-given purpose also includes loving and serving others. Others. Jesus went on right after he said that. He said, oh, by the way, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's other places in Scripture. Paul says a lot about this idea. Philippians 2 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And then he says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Think about it. You were created in such a way. You were placed here you're placing a community of people and he says okay I want you to love me with everything you got I want you to turn your attention to me I want you to serve me and by the way I'm putting you right here with this community of people and they're just they're very important to what I've called you to do the intentionality of it all 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Paul says now we exhort you warn those who are unruly comfort the faint-hearted uphold the weak and this is the hardest part be patient with all. Be patient with all. Which leads us to this thought. How to invest in others. How do we serve others? Listen, I go back to my story. If people, I'm convinced of this more than anything. If people didn't step up in my life and invest in me, I, 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 I would have been totally lost in all this. I, I probably, I'm just going to be honest with you, I probably would still be under the guilt and shame I would probably still feel defeated. I would probably feel like I had nothing to offer. But other people came in and invested. So how do you invest in others? Number one, you got to build relationships with them. What does that require? Putting yourself out there. Some of you, you don't like putting yourself out there, do you? For some of us, it's for many different reasons. Here's some of them. Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. I'm sorry. I kind of got ahead of myself. But number two, not only build a relationship, but attempt to understand them. You know what we are living in? You know what kind of world we're living in? We're living in a world where we demand to be understood. We demand we be understood. We don't tend to look to try to understand others. And I'm not trying to be political with that. I'm, I'm not. I think it's just a fact of Scripture. Yeah, are there times we need to be understood? Yeah, when we're bringing the truth of God's Word. But we also need to realize that we need to attempt to understand those that we're trying to reach. It's the only way we'll be able to pour in their life is attempt to understand them, understand their perspective, understand their passions, their pursuits. I'll be honest with you, and I'm not picking on the college students that are here. I even look at my son. It's amazing how the perspective of, say, a baby boomer is so different than millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Zers or whatever you call all those people now. I don't know what they're going to call after Gen Z. I guess we start over. But anyway, but there, the mentality is so different. But we must seek to understand their perspective. How about their passions? It seems like every generation has a different passion for something. How many of you have noticed that? There's like a different passion. It doesn't mean that one generation has it all right and the other one has it all wrong. Doesn't mean that either. Their pursuits. Have you ever looked at someone and said, what moves you? Now, I'm not talking about prune juice or anything like that. (laughs) That was not in the notes. I should have just stuck with it. Some of you sitting here, that's so disgusting. Well, then I recommend you never come back here again. It <laughs> yeah, comes up every once in a while. So, <laughs> but have you ever looked at someone and said, "You know, what are you passionate about? What moves you? What what what? What's your life about? When's the last time you've asked anybody that?" Those are great discussion questions when it comes to trying to understand people. So many times we think we got to start, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? If not, hell awaits. <laughs> now, is that the truth? Yeah, that's the truth, but how do, you, how do you start investing in people? You start by coming alongside of them, understanding them, their perspective, their passion their pursuits. And then you stick with that, and then you begin to move in, and you begin to enlighten them as to what God's done for you, the truth of God's Word. Attempt to understand them. Next, inspire them. I want to ask you a question real quick. Is there anyone in your life that not just encourages you, but inspires you? There's people in this room who totally inspire me, and I would start calling names because I, I would, but I don't want to leave someone out that means a lot to me. They think, I think, no, that's not the case. But who inspires you? Have you ever asked yourself, who do I inspire? And that's not a place of arrogance because Jesus, listen, Jesus said we're to be salt and light to this world. That means, that means influence. I think it also means Inspiration. We need to live inspirational lives to get the attention of others. And guess what? It will always be different than what the world presents. But don't you agree this world needs that type of inspiration that's centered in God's word? How about this? Equip them. Give them what they need. Help them at their point of need. That's how we invest in others. Next, encourage them by adding value to their life. How does a person add value to another? You show appreciation for them. You encourage them. I never dreamed I could be encouraged every day, many times a day, until I got this smartwatch. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, you're horty-toty, you got a smartwatch, I'd have got one a long time ago if I knew what this thing would do. This thing, you know what this thing does? Every morning when I put it on, it'll vibrate and it'll say, hey, Brian, let's do better than we did yesterday. Let's get the movement number going. Let's, let's uh, make sure you complete your circle this week. Now, that's not new age junk. That's just something I'm trying to do, okay? And then sometimes I'm over there and I'm studying, and I'll be sitting there and not realizing it'll, it'll literally vibrate and say, time to stand up. I'll stand up, <laughs> walk around, sit down. And you know what it says next? You did it. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what this thing does. Greatest encourager in my life right now. We need to be that for other people. Who do you encourage outside of your family? What hinders investment in others? Number one, lack of biblical understanding. Let me just say this, and you're not going to like it, but if you're not investing in someone currently, you're not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. You're not. You're not. you got to be investing. What hinders? It's selfishness, living unto oneself. Another thing that hinders, wrong view of success. Success is not about stuff, but about the people we love and serve. Insecurity will keep us from hindering other people, from uh, pouring into other people. Competition, and then lastly, fear of rejection. I want to close with this quickly. Part two is coming up in a couple of weeks, but, but here it is. The incredible life includes realizing God created you particularly uniquely, discovering your God-given purpose. That's the two things we dealt with today. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at living your God-given potential. I'm going to give you a little idea of where I'm headed. Realizing you have potential, then living the potential. It comes down to the right attitude, right perspective, and the right people who are in your life. That's where we're going to be in two weeks. And then lastly, standing before God pleasingly. Listen to what Jesus says, one of the most well-known parables, Matthew 25, 21. Here's where we want to be when it's all said and done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that? Well done, Faith. You were, fear, you were faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over me. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You know what you're saying? This is the finish line. This is where you feel fulfilled. This is where completion happens. This is, this is a great thing to cross that line. Faithful to what he's called us to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I just thank you for Psalm 139, the way it ministers to me personally, and hopefully it does so many here today. But Father, when we begin to uncover the fact that you not only love us, and you sent your son Jesus to save us, you have great intentionality for our lives. You have a purpose, you have a plan. You created us uniquely, placed us where we are today, the the when It could have been a thousand years ago. It could have been 200 years ago, but it's in the now. This is the time that we can love you with all our heart, mind, and soul. This is the time you've given us to do that. This is also the time you've given us to invest in other people, to love other people, to pour into other people. Father, help us to be obedient. And Father, from it all, I pray you'll give us the greatest sense of satisfaction when it comes to being obedient to what you've called us to do. We thank you for what you've done. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.